Welcome to Her Story, a retelling of the biblical narratives featuring women in scripture with Joanne Guarnieri Hagemeyer, Grace and Peace Joanne. Last week, the third candle in the Advent wreath, the candle of joy, introduced the theme for Her Story's fourth season, The Birth of Christ. Jesus was a real person who was actually born about 2,000 years ago in a small village near Jerusalem. Elizabeth's account comes first in the telling of Jesus' nativity. Elizabeth's faith, her wisdom, and her resilience became the safe place for Mary to turn, six months into Elizabeth's own miraculous pregnancy. Each story in this series was originally produced as a YouTube presentation. Links to YouTube, Grace and Peace Joanne blog posts, and the books I've written are provided below. When Luke wrote his gospel, around 30 years after Jesus had risen up into heaven, his intention was to write a historical account while bringing out the theological significance of the history. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. You see, Luke was a university man, well-educated, a doctor, well-grounded in science and logic. And for him, truth was concrete. It was his intention not only to verify and corroborate the stories surrounding the account of Jesus' life, but also to interview the people closest to Jesus. So when Luke wrote his gospel and his second volume, The Acts of the Apostles, he was intent on providing factual, reliable evidence to other educated, scientific, sophisticated, logical thinkers, such as his friend Theophilus. And we can thank Luke for being such a careful historian because he named names and dates all throughout this document which continue to be verified as new archaeological evidence is unearthed. Now, scholars believe Luke did have access to both Mark's Gospel and an early version of John's Gospel by this time, and he was especially influenced by John, so much so that Luke devoted significantly more attention to women in his Gospel than did either Mark or later on Matthew. And what fascinated Luke, the scientist and the doctor, was Jesus' special emphasis on prayer, the activity of the Holy Spirit, and joyfulness in this account of Jesus' birth. He highlighted the Holy Spirit's activity all throughout the lives of the five people who show up in these first two chapters. We're going to talk about one, Elizabeth, but look for the clues in some of the others. Luke's chronicle of Jesus' life is the longest of the four Gospels, and many of the details surrounding Jesus' birth are found only in Luke including the story we're going to talk about today, Elizabeth, which he most likely received from Mary herself. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So when God called the tribe of Levi to care for the tabernacle, God set aside Aaron and his family specially to be priests. And so it had been, down through the centuries, through the upheavals of wars and exiles, the building of the temple, its several plunderings and destruction, and the renewing, and this new temple, 
all of it remained constant. The descendants of Aaron alone were to offer up prayers within the holy place and keep the lamp lit and the table of showbread fresh and sprinkle incense on the altar twice daily. It was an honorable thing to be a descendant of Aaron. And when we go back to Exodus to study Elizabeth's lineage, we find out something else, something the people of her day would have known without saying. Aaron married Elisheba, the daughter of Aminadab, and sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, Itamar. Elisheba means God is abundance, and it's the Hebrew form of the Greek rendition of Elizabeth's name. So Aaron's wife was Elizabeth's namesake, which is another honor that held a great deal of significance because in that day, a name was seen as that person's character. So descended from Aaron and Elisheba came all the priests of Israel ever. To have such a name as a young woman must have filled Elizabeth with joyful hope that she might also one day bring forth priests. And both Zechariah and Elizabeth had genuine faith in God. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and the regulations of the Lord. Now Luke was using a well-known formula. To be righteous meant to walk by faith in God. All the heroes of the faith in the Hebrew scriptures walked with God and God counted that towards them as righteousness. The most notable are Noah and Abraham. And embedded in this phrase is the prophet Micah speaking in God's voice. God has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This remarkably simple and often quoted text reveals amazing wisdom in how to live righteously with God. Orthopraxy. Right practice in living by faith is to do justice. Orthopathy, which is right feeling in living by faith, is to love kindness. And orthodoxy, which is right thinking in living by faith, is to walk humbly with our God. God's core values found all throughout the Hebrew scriptures are justice and righteousness. And the Lord's call to God's people was to adopt these values for themselves to desire them far more than the trappings of religion. And even yet, Elizabeth and her husband also lived blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. And that too was a code phrase. Because those faithful who made this practice famous, this kind of close adherence to God's word, were the Pharisees. Jesus even commended the Pharisees who confronted him for being as careful as they were to tithe everything they had, even down to their spices. For many of the Pharisees, it seems their devotion to the scriptures didn't bring them any closer to God, but not so with Elizabeth and her husband. They were genuine. Yet there was a quiet sorrow in their marriage. If you heed these ordinances, by diligently observing them, the Lord your God will maintain with you the covenant loyalty that he swore to your ancestors. God will love you, bless you, and multiply you. God will bless the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and your grain, and your wine, and your oil, and the increase of your cattle, and the issue of your flock, in the land that he swore to your ancestors to give you. 
you shall be the most blessed of peoples, with neither sterility nor barrenness among you, or your livestock. The Lord had made a tremendous promise to God's people in response to their faithfulness. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. We know from what she later said that Elizabeth had endured long years of humiliation, even though her character and conduct were above reproach. As with the story of Job, those around her could only see that the Lord had not settled God's favor on her. And so it must have been a humiliation and a disgrace to her to be seen with that quiet judgment. There must be something wrong. Even from Luke's brief description, we can know neither Zechariah nor Elizabeth ever grew bitter with God. They remained righteous in all things, faithful to each other and faithful to God. They knew the scriptures well and they loved them. And I think the stories of Hannah and of Rachel and of Rebecca must have given Elizabeth hope. Well, until her body changed and then it became certain she would have no children. There is also every reason to believe Zechariah and Elizabeth lived with an extended family in their village. Dwellings in the first century Palestine were usually designed to accommodate multiple families. So Elizabeth likely invested in her nieces and nephews and helped with the mothers of the house. And she surely would have believed as they grew into adulthood that these would be like her children and their children would be like her grandchildren. But then, in an astonishing string of seemingly random events, Zechariah won the lottery to offer incense on the altar, and the angel Gabriel appeared before him. Now, evidently, just as Isaac had prayed for his wife nearly 2,000 years before, Zechariah had never stopped praying for Elizabeth. So now, as he was making the offering of the prayers of the people, here was a vision of Gabriel. And he said, Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. But Zechariah struggled with this message from God's heavenly messenger. He struggled with what he was telling him. From terrified to skeptical, Zechariah found it hard to believe that his prayer was going to be answered in exactly this way, pregnancy for his aging wife. But then there was more. This exceptional child would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. And he would take on Nazarite vows. And he would have a prophetic ministry in the power and spirit of Elijah. And God would work so powerfully through John that he would turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God as well as turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. I mean, that was a lot to take in. And then the angel Gabriel said he would prepare the way of the Lord. Now that was messianic language. And I want you to imagine the scene. In the holy place of the magnificent golden temple of Herod the Great, the walls were covered in sheets of gold, the massive golden candlesticks intricately carved to look like budding almond trees, and the golden table holding twelve freshly baked loaves of bread, and the incense altar covered in gold and its heady aroma of myrrh and frankincense and cardamom and white smoke filling the room, and the candlelight flickering 
and the mighty Archangel Gabriel glowing, with light all around him speaking with the voice of heaven. And even yet, Zechariah was skeptical, distrustful. He wanted a guarantee of some kind, besides the miraculous presence of a heavenly being sent from God to personally speak with him. So Gabriel told Zechariah his lack of belief would mean he could not speak until his son was born. By the time Zechariah emerged, the alarm had already been sounded. He had been in there far too long. An old man, a holy office. What if something had happened? But then they soon realized the aging priest had seen a vision. But as much as he waved his hands around, he was not able to say one word. Zechariah had asked Gabriel, how will I know that this is so? And Gabriel had given Zechariah his proof, a prophecy that would be immediately supernaturally fulfilled in his inability to speak as a sign for the greater prophecy to come. Now, we can surmise from later on in the narrative that because Zechariah had a writing tablet in his home, this is how he communicated with other people for the next nine months. And he must have relayed the story to Elizabeth. And I just pictured them, Zechariah quickly scribbling down his story with Elizabeth reading over his shoulder. And I imagine the well-known story of Sarah must have leaped into her mind because an angelic messenger had also come to Sarah's husband to announce the birth of her miraculous son. But there was another story even closer to Elizabeth's, and I think this is the one she thought about. She would certainly have known it well. It's the story of Samson's mother. You can find it in Judges 13. Manoah's wife was barren. But then one day, the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Although you are barren, having borne no children, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now be careful not to drink wine or strong drink or to eat anything unclean, for you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor is to come on his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from birth. It is he who shall begin to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now when Manoah's wife told him about her encounter, he prayed and he asked God to resend the angel so he could hear the whole story himself. It seems he wanted a guarantee as well. And Elizabeth did conceive. For five months she remained in seclusion, and she said, this is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. Now, why seclusion? You'd have thought she'd have been so excited she would have wanted to tell everyone. But then I got to thinking a first pregnancy well after menopause. That would have been a significant physical undertaking. The first three months for those of you who've been pregnant, are usually marked by tiredness, achiness, nausea, even in a young woman. And Elizabeth was not young. But I wonder if she wondered whether other people would believe her. Even though Zechariah had clearly experienced something life-altering inside that temple, I wonder if she wondered, will they believe me? And lastly, usually with a first-time pregnancy, a woman does not begin to show until about the fifth month. And she doesn't feel the baby either, moving within her until about 25 weeks gestation, which is between the fifth and sixth months. The Archangel Gabriel had visited Mary, 
and had given her some of the most breathtaking news ever delivered. She would conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit, and her son would be the Son of God. Gabriel also gave Mary a sign that what she heard from the Lord was from the Lord. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. What Elizabeth said next came by God's revelation as she was swept up in the Spirit, for she had not seen Mary, and Mary had told no one. All that Elizabeth said, she discerned as a prophet of God. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. God could not have been more fully present in that incredible moment. Elizabeth, whose unborn son was already filled with the Holy Spirit. Mary, who carried a child conceived by the overshadowing of Almighty God. And now Elizabeth herself filled with the Spirit, God in three persons, literally filled these two mothers the aging wife of an elderly priest and a young unmarried girl. God the Father, Most High God, who had brought forth life in both of these women, is the architect of creation, revealed to humankind from the first words of Genesis. God gives life and breath and is the rightful judge who yet planned salvation from the beginning, even before the creation of the universe and the unborn Christ, Jesus, fearfully and wonderfully made, whom God had knit together in secret before even Mary knew he was there. He is the only begotten Son of God the Father, born like any person, yet Jesus alone held within him the divine glory of God. And it is through Jesus that the Father's plan of salvation is fulfilled by the cross and the resurrection. And God the Holy Spirit who was now filling Elizabeth with prophetic voice, by whose power life was brought forth from the void, the agent of creation, the power that anointed kings and prophets, the essence of God's life that fills hearts with joy, bringing those who put their faith in Jesus to new life with the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead. While Mary stayed with Elizabeth through to the birth of John, before she went home, and surely not only being of great help and encouragement to Elizabeth, but I think Mary also was being mentored and encouraged herself through her first trimester. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, 
they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him Zechariah after his father, but his mother said, no, he is to be called John. As the angel had foretold, Zechariah was not able to speak for Elizabeth's entire pregnancy and also for the first eight days after their son was born. So it was Elizabeth who announced to everyone that breaking with tradition, the baby's name would be John, just as Archangel Gabriel had instructed. Zechariah wrote the name down on his tablet and he affirmed what Elizabeth had said. And then suddenly he too became filled with the spirit and prophesied. And there was great rejoicing and with Elizabeth's faithful and nurturing care, the child grew and became strong in spirit. Coming up next is one of the most famous biblical narratives we have in the birth of Christ, the story of a young virgin named Mary, whose encounter with God would change her life and our lives forever. <laughs> 